Welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nerva. This is Stephen Robles. We're doing something different this time. It's the new normal, bro. It's the new normal. <laughs> bro, you hit me up like an hour ago saying we're going to do a Zoom call. I said, what? That's how he rolls. Listen. Pretty much. Got to hit that spot in You got to be bro. steadfast with this guy. That's it. That's <laughs> like it. you got a podcast Ready, in 15 in minutes. I'm like, out. wait, what? That's right. Well, no, it's good. Well, it's good to see you guys. And uh, for our listeners, you know, hopefully check out that last episode that was awesome talking about you know the problem of pain and suffering. That was a great, oh, great interview you guys had. Yeah, man, it was it he was cool. A, he was awesome. I mean, he just laid it out <laughs> the depravity of man, problem yeah. of evil, just all of the. He said, "There ain't no problem of evil." <laughs> he said, "God can fix the problem of evil." By so the problem is you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was very powerful. And you know, it's interesting too. Like I, a while back, and there's a journal called Philosophia Christi which is one of the leading uh, evangelical uh, philosophy journals. And it, every... No, that, that's another magazine, but these are the smaller ones that used to come okay. in. Like uh, now they're, I think they're, have moved them online. They might be both. You might could still get them in the mail. But anyways, they have leading you know, thinkers, even outside of the Christian faith, they interact with people. But I remember one time they did a symposium on the problem of evil, and it was kind of the leading thinkers, and Clay Jones was one of the contributors. Uh-huh. And he, wow. his, his, I think his title was, they were trying to explain, you know, is God a moral monster, the Canaanites, and all that kind of thing. And he said, I think his title was something like, um, we don't... We we think God is mean because we don't hate sin or something like that. And he really went in like Dang just from that perspective, even interacting with the other kind of Christian thinkers. It's like, man, part of the problem is our own perception. So it was cool to interview him on that. And I hope if you get uh, the chance to go back and listen to that and then get his books. It's on my to read in the next three weeks list. Uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm going to try to make my way through both of his books, the one he was talking about that took him 20-something years to to write, and then the next book that just came out last week. Immortal? Um, immortal or Immortality or something immortality. like that. So, right. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so check it out. Immortality, something like that. Yeah, listeners, check it out. And also, we want to remind you about our awesome sponsor, Impact 360. They uh, always have their online courses available, which again, especially during this time, take advantage of those. You could do their course on truth, on defending the resurrection, and on worldview. You can go online, take those courses. They have downloads for you to do, especially if you have a high schooler or a college-age student. Check it out. You can go through, really get a great foundation of the Christian worldview and get them ready as maybe they're going into college. And don't forget, they also have the gap year program. It's that nine month program uh, where they go to impact 360 and you can actually uh, send your, your just graduated senior over there and uh, they get to stay there and again, have an awesome foundation uh, for their faith, how to defend it. And then when they head out into, you know, college, wherever they may go or afterwards, they'd be prepared uh, to defend their faith. And so if you do one of those online courses, Promo code FREEMIND gets you $25 off. And if you do the uh, gap year program, you can get the application fee waived if you use the promo code FREEMIND as well. So check it out, impact360.org for all the Impact 360 stuff. That's right. And I think they've actually might have had Clay on there in the past too. But um, And <clears throat> I was just talking with Jonathan. We trying to figure out um, if they're going to have the camp this summer. So far, it's looking like it's going to be good. And I think Georgia has opened back up, but we, you know, kind of on a wait and see. So hope, hopefully we'll be at immersion here in July. And that'll bring us to a, another topic we're going to talk about later. But before we kind of jump into that um, thing, which is, you know, we, we want to talk about all this stuff going on, how do we interpret what's really going on with this disease and the coronavirus? We have so many conflicting reports. We have things floating around online. You got pandemic and you got the responses to that. And, and as Christians, you know, how do we navigate through these things? And, uh, and, and maybe even we'll get to discuss, like, what is the right approach in this time? You know, mm-hmm. I know here in California even, Many of the churches are going to be gathering together um, against the government orders on May 31st for Pentecost Sunday. And wow. there's kind of been a movement toward uh, civil disobedience, and there's a bit of a debate going on right now. Is, is it unloving, you know, to to kind of fight for your rights? Sometimes, sometimes it's being framed like is that. Is it selfish? 
is it selfish or is it something we got to do to, you know, uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that a little later on, but before we jump into it, you had just written a blog, Stephen, on Ravi. Maybe you can give us a little, just what, what's going on with, with Ravi Zacharias and then what were some of the, maybe, maybe summarize your thoughts that you put down in the blog. You could point the, the listeners to that if they want to read it as well. Yeah, man. So Ravi Zacharias, you know, he's always dealt with uh, some serious back issues and he's had surgeries and, and he had some issue come up uh, maybe six or nine months ago, I forget. And he went in for a major surgery and uh, he was recovering from that. And I think he had to go back in or something. And then they discovered a cancer uh, that he's having to battle. And uh, he was going through that treatment. And then eventually, just recently in the past few weeks, got a pretty bad prognosis from the doctors concerning the cancer and they mm. sent him home. And so he was actually home with family and uh, they are not seemingly proceeding with treatment. Um, so it's really looking like uh, Ravi might pass away pretty soon, you know, unfortunately. And obviously we're praying for healing and and we believe that he can be healed. But, but uh, you know, they started this Thank You Ravi campaign yeah. uh, asking everybody, you know, either post on social media, do a video, send it into them directly as mm. kind of like a tribute to uh, any memories you might have of Ravi or how my Ravi Zacharias had changed your life or your spiritual walk. Yeah. Yeah. So in the campaign, you know, I really wanted to do something. You know, I really felt like I was going to regret it if, you know, if he passes away and I don't do anything. And, you know, Ravi Zacharias, before William Lane Craig, before a lot of the kind of mainline apologetics people, I guess you could talk about, Ravi is kind of the first one I found. I found his podcast, Let My People Think. Yeah. He has that second podcast, Just Thinking. But as I was struggling with my faith, at Southeastern, you know, ironically mm. enough, I left Southeastern for a semester. I came home and I kind of, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't doing anything. I was just kind of done. You know, I said, I'm done with Christianity, more of a deist. I was like, I couldn't shake the idea that some God exists, but I was like, mm. you know, I'm not doing the church, the Christian thing. And uh, eventually I found his podcast and through a course of events, I started listening to it and really started building my faith again. And, uh, you know, I had always wanted to see Ravi Zacharias live uh, because I've seen so many videos of him, listened to so many podcasts. I said, you know, I just hope at least once to be able to see him live. And, you know, he opened the new Ravi Zacharias Institute in Alpharetta, Georgia, which is their dedicated building where they do training and they teach and they held conferences there. And so I think it was actually two years ago now, uh, we actually went for the first conference that they held, me and a couple friends from The Crossing. Uh, we went to that conference and uh, Ravi did a live Q&A. And, you know, I posted the picture of it and um, I'll include it in the show notes too. But, you know, having Ravi just like 20 feet away, you know, you, he's always passionate about what he's talking yeah. about. And he comes from such a unique perspective. But it was just incredible to see him in person, mm. uh, you know, felt fighting back tears multiple times just as he's answering these oh. questions. And uh, I didn't get a picture with him. You know, they were really good with that security tip. They kind of like yeah. rush him out the back door yeah, when yeah. he's done. But but it was great to see him. And, and just thinking about it, you know, he has such a unique perspective. Uh, growing up in a Hindu family, I believe his parents are were Hindu priests in the Hindu priest caste in India. And, you know, the whole genetic fallacy of you really only believe what you grew up to believe, you know, whether mm. geographically or in your family, you know, he breaks all those molds immediately, you know, growing up Hindu, yeah. Hindu priest parents moving here, you know, after he was 18 and just his stories from all over the world, you know, he has spoken to congregations of Muslims. He's had one-on-ones with sheiks and one-on-ones with literally people in terrorist organizations uh, who are anti-Christian. You know, he's had such unique doors open to him over the years. Mm. And even with, you know, William Lane Craig's getting old too, you know, and it makes me think like there's a big hole coming in Mm. this world Mm. of of apologetic evangelists. But also one, you know, Ravi, he knew so many of the great arguments. You know, he could talk about the problem of suffering and he could talk about why the Bible is true. But he yeah. had such a way of communicating through illustration and through story, just the presence of the Holy Spirit that will come uh, when you hear him talk about those things and those stories. And so, you know, we will miss him if he if he goes soon. I hope not. You know, I think he's only seventy four. You know, mm. he's he's not he's not that elderly. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be a hole, and and uh, he just left a lasting impact on my life. And I know on if you look on social media, literally thousands and thousands of people doing the same thing. So. Yeah. What what's your what's your top 
maybe two books by him if you or or I know you recommend yeah. the podcast. Have you read any books by him out of out of curiosity? By Ravi? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I love the combination of Jesus among other gods and mm. Jesus among secular gods. You know, those mm. two books cover almost every major worldview. Among other gods, he talks about Buddhism, Hinduism, Eastern mysticism. Jesus among secular gods, he addresses atheism, scientism, agnosticism, hedonism, and all that. So I love those two. And he also recently did a Why Suffering book. Uh, he co-wrote it with Vince Vitale. And talking about the whole problem of suffering is, again, it was a, a powerful uh, thing about that. He also has some a series of fictional t- tales about Hitler talks to Jesus and hmm. the Buddha talks to Jesus. And, and those are interesting, too. But, you know, if you've never read Ravi... And if you're struggling with your faith or you know someone who's maybe an atheist or agnostic, The Jesus Among Secular Gods is a powerful book, especially, I think, during this time and in this season. So, yeah, check those out. Man, that's cool. So good. Did you have anything you want? What's your what's been your memories or thoughts? I know. I just remember my first time ever hearing him speak. I was like, I don't understand a thing I just heard. But I know it was so (laughs) profound. (laughs) Maybe one sentence out of the whole topic. But as years went by, um, most recently, if you would type in Ravi Zacharias and him talking on postmodernism and the different worldviews as of late, I mean, it was just so profound and so eloquent and so spoken in a way that, I mean, I, I was just, my heart would just burn or leap and my mind would be so stimulated. And I never... I don't think I ever grew up struggling in my faith, nor did I think it through deeply. But he was one of those persons that caused me to really think it through deeply. And just, I mean, any YouTube teaching you pull up of, of him speaking or sharing or just a question, answering a question was just so eloquent yeah. and so well thought out and so profound so I, he will he is loved i'm not going to talk like he's already gone or on the way out we don't don't know what god will do we're praying yeah. but that um I, I, it just speaks volumes that the world is right now paying tribute and thanking him for a life just poured out helping so many people understand the faith and so yeah we love you ravi thank you for everything i just want to mention yeah. too I'll, I'll include these clips in the show notes but two youtube click clips i love of ravi he has one, he's doing a Q&A at a university, and a student walks up to the mic, and he says, what is the issue you take with subjective moral reasoning? You know, why can't morality just be subjective? People are good enough. You know, we can just believe in the subjective morality that people come up with. And Ravi just comes up to the mic and says, do you lock your doors at night? You know, do mm. you, you know, do you do you even trust your neighbors? Then, you know, how can you possibly trust? And again, his ability for humor and all that is amazing my first time hearing him or coming across his works and I couldn't, I couldn't even place it because he had become such a part of my life. There were, I can't remember even which years. I think for me, it started with the podcast that he put out. This was before like podcasts were even known, but I found like early on when they first came out, like what was it? iTunes (laughs) 2.0. They started having these podcasts, man. And I was just, I was hooked. And so everything I could listen to, everything I could get my hands on it for like two years, man, Ravi, Ravi, Ravi. Even that weird like music he had uh, open enough. Is that classical? <laughs> My friends man? hated it. I know. I loved it. Exactly. I loved it. I tried to recommend it. My friend was like, "No, nah, I can't get past the intro music." <laughs> but um, <laughs> but anyways, um, for me, tying back to your story too, I, I finally. I saw that he did these things twice a year. One was at Wheaton College and one was at Oxford University where he would do these week-long RZIM training um, courses. I can't remember what it was called exactly, but I decided one year, because Nerva was from Chicago, uh, that we would go up there and, and to Wheaton College and do that week-long thing. At the time, she was not into apologetics at all. This was early on. So that's probably why part of the reason it was like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. Now I think I when, no you, when you when <laughs> you when you listen oh. now it's like a different experience. We just it's watched him awesome, recently yeah. on one of my favorite interviews of his. Maybe we'll link this in the show notes as well, Stephen. But his interview with Ben, ben Shapiro, Shapiro. Oh, yeah. was man, it was so good, and and it just I think it showed who Ravi was co- come together so well because. He, he had a scholarly mind, like he could go toe to toe with oh, yeah. the greatest thinkers in the world and meet them at that level. Right. But um, he could also break it down to the popular level where if 
even if you didn't have a lot of background, you could you could grab onto yeah. a lot of what he was saying. And like you said, Stephen, his ability to tell it in story form and really just the way he embodied it, it was like it it reminded me of just what Stephen in the Bible when he was being stoned, where he was full of full of the grace, full of wisdom. They couldn't um, overcome his wisdom. You know, they just had to kill him. But that was the kind of thing I saw Ravi display. Yeah. It's like you he just had so much God inspired wisdom. That it was it was studied, but it wasn't merely uh, book knowledge, right. and the way he had the ability to communicate it to audiences of all sorts, and even to stand, you know, to be able to sit rather in this case with Ben Shapiro, who's a I think either Orthodox Jew, I think he's Orthodox, not Reformed, but he's a he's not a believer in Jesus, but to be able to stand there, have respectful conversation, but also Ravi doesn't back down from those points of disagreement, but he's able to do it in a way that invites the person to really see J- Jesus for who he is and removes the obstacles. And the team that he put together at RZIM, all those conferences oh, yeah. are, I mean, absolutely first rate. And even that week we did at Wheaton, it was, it was amazing. He had... So many incredible speakers there, but man, I, I think um, I literally was walking around here yesterday, doing my daily walk and just praying that God would raise him up. You know, we we just had Craig Keener on, and like you said, we know that God has done that in the past; He can do that. Um, but you know, we also know that that's a minority of the time when He does. But to all appearances, he, it's not looking good. If right. unless God does a miracle, it's not looking like He's going to be with us much longer. But, you know, we just want to take a minute as free mind to say how much we love Ravi, man, how much uh, of a crucial part he has played in my faith journey and Stephen's faith journey. And I think it just nervous overall journey um, directly and through the teams that he's put together, man, that, that it leaves a le- lasting legacy. And he still re- will remain like when I think about the kind of apologist or the kind of preacher that or just the kind of Christian that I want to become he's one of the main guys that I would look at who can who can do it with such um, rigorous clear thinking with courage but also with the kind of winsome nature and um, humility that I think is is hard to pull together in one person so yeah yeah thank you Ravi yeah thank you Ravi <laughs> So anyway, um, just moving on kind of here to our next topic. This one, you know, could get really get really big, really long, but we're going to try to keep it short. And, and if you're coming in with us today, um, we always we never shy away from the controversial topics, but we also try to we try to think through it um, from a biblical perspective with humility. We try to note when we have knowledge and when it's just ah, we have good evidence, but it's not knowledge or when we're like, ah, I don't know in this case, but here's the two sides. Today, we're going to do a, a bit of all that, but want to talk to you about really what I think is the crisis of authority um, in epistemology in our, in our country and how this is playing out in this coronavirus pandemic. Um, That's a tiny topic. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and cover it in 20 minutes, completely boom, solved, yeah, yeah, yeah. walk away. But, um, you know... If you, if you understand much about, you know, Western civilization, which most of us don't because we don't learn about it in school these days, um, and that's probably good because if we learned about it in school, it'd be some skewed version. Well. Uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, there, there, was, there was a similar crisis of authority when the, at one time the church was kind of, you know, the Bible, the church tradition, Catholic, especially in Christendom where the Catholic church was held to be the authority. And this kind of came crashing down. I'm going to give a really simplistic overview of this. Um, it would require like major unpacking, but you know, with with the scientific revolution, with the Copernican revolution, where Galileo, all this stuff, um, the church really held. They dug they dug their heels in on the Aristotelian cosmology, where the Earth was at the center. Got in this major debate, you know, you got the, the stories that you don't know how much is true or false, but where they refuse to look through the telescope of Galileo and, you know, the church is mean, they put him in prison. A lot of that stuff is overblown and exaggerated, but there is some truth to it. Um, but even more than that, the culture began to lose trust in the, in the knowledge of the church. And so they said, what are we going to replace it with? And so basically at that point, they said, well, we can no longer trust church authority, maybe even the Bible. 
now we've got to put human reason up top or in that battle maybe further divided into empiricism um, versus um, just pure reason itself. So logic or, you know, thought over here and then the sciences over here, which you can test mm-hmm. through data, five, the five senses and that battle ensued. <clears throat> but that, that was kind of the modernist project, right? And then after modernism, they, they, they discovered, well, if you lose God, you kind of lose reason. So you had Kant's critique of pure reason that kind of split uh, the noumenal from the phenomenal. So the real world now is split from the human mind, what appears to be the real world, and we're stuck in the phenomenal, so we can no longer bridge that gap to get to the real world. That Some people think that gave birth to the postmodern movement where there is no objective um, truth and no objective knowledge whatsoever. It's just power play. Um, for whoever controls the narrative. Hmm. And so that's that's kind of a, a really oversimplified past. But but what, what happened was you had this crisis in authority. So l- let me quickly say knowledge, as Dallas Willard defines it, is the ability to represent things as they are on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. So it captures that reason in em- empirical. But he said t- embedded in that also is authority. So, so the three sources of knowledge are thought, experience, and authority. And he actually says most of our knowledge comes from authority. Hmm. Um, and that the the simple case is authority. right. So authority would be um, people that are supposed to know what they're talking about in given areas. <laughs> right. um, so the authorities we might call it, or the experts, um, because as human beings we can't. I mean, you just one short little human life, you don't have the ability to study even everything about one oh, tiny good. topic. So, true. so we're all at the mercy of finding authorities we can trust so we can build on either previous historical authorities or even present authorities, people that, you know, if you look to scholars who are New Testament scholars to give you insight about New Testament documents or you look to, um, you know, biological experts to give you insight about biology, whatever the topics are, we have to depend. It's a knowledge is a collective effort. Um, it's, it can't be narrowed down to an individualistic thing. I'm going to start at ground zero and build my way back up. It Mm. just, you'll never get anywhere. So anyways, that Willard says most of our authority, most of our knowledge comes on the basis of authority. The problem is which authorities do you trust? And that was the that was the epistemological crisis that led to Descartes trying to knock it down and saying, well, what can we build knowledge on if we can no longer trust the, mm. the authorities in the church? Um, so anyways... I feel like we are at another crisis and, and it's, it's, it's not a new debate. It's, it's raising up these old issues and it's given us like in living color and in real time, um, the same questions that they tried to answer in modernism and in postmodernism. And it's man, who can you trust? And I think if you're a thoroughgoing postmodernist, which is very rare, you're probably sitting back right now and saying, see, I told you so. <laughs> Because even the paradigm of knowledge in our culture is what? Is which discipline? Science. Right. So we have, we have the view called scientism, which is kind of the cultural waters we swim in. For those who do believe in knowledge, they're typically ascribed, uh, subscribed to what is called scientism, which basically says that the scientific enterprise is either the only way to know things or the, at least the best way to know things. And so... Why, and I'm just throwing this out there to you guys on the spot, and if you don't have sure. an answer, it's fine. But why is that being challenged right now, you think? Because they've made so many mistakes. Right. So, well, who's made mistakes? The authorities. In which area? The medical field. Which is what? And what science. broader heading? Science, right. Yeah. So there's, there's a crisis right now going on where people are saying, Whew. man, can we trust the scientists? Why are they saying that? Because now politics are involved. Oh boy, yeah. And I'm not, and I'm saying now with quotes because for people that have studied the history of science, they know that to a degree politics often gets involved with science. And if you're if you're familiar with the evolution creation debate, this won't be a surprise to you um, because you can 
is that's something I have studied in depth over time. And very quickly, I won't not not to say there's no good evidence for evolution. I think there, I'm, I'm skeptical of the whole neo-Darwinian enterprise is the the explanation for life as we see it. But I do think there is some evidence you can put forth. I think the evidence against it to me is a little bit more compelling at, at points. Um, but even that aside, when you study the history of science, you see how they have actually, in many cases, I would call it low level persecution of people who have been intelligent design theorists. And so they have denied them tenure just on the basis of the fact that they have tried to get them booted out of universities. Mm, Um, they have, uh, consistently called their work non-science and pseudoscience. And it's weird because even an atheist philosopher, a a really sharp philosopher from NYU, probably one of the leading philosophers of our day named Thomas Nagel, probably have heard that name before, but he actually wrote an article saying if, if Darwinian evolution is science, then intelligent design is science because they're basically doing the same methodology and given the same types of explanation for the same type of data. He didn't agree with creation, intelligent design or creation as science, but he said they're both. If one of them science, the other is science in essence. Mm-hmm. Um, but even but politically, like judges were striking it down for being taught in schools because they said it's non-science, it's pseudoscience. So I've been aware okay. for years that this kind kind of naive scientism that's floating through our culture like the white coated guys they can never be influenced by outside forces they are just going to tell they're just going to call balls and strikes um that is that is super naive but now that's being exposed in our culture and like i said the postmodernists are sitting back probably saying see it's been political from the beginning there's no they're going to take the extreme view there is no scientific knowledge it's all political (laughs) and it's just you know it's one group posturing against the other Mm -hmm. and um i think right now we are seeing the challenges to the idea that there is objectivity in science Um, now I still think there is, I'm still what's called a critical realist and that's not the naive view, but that's the, that's the view that says there are different degrees of epistemic strength within science. There are different types of sciences and you have to look at it on a case by case basis and you have to try to weed out the bias as much as possible. And sometimes you get more or less close to the truth and sometimes that, gaining truth is progressive over time and grows in the future. Sometimes it takes a step backwards. Sometimes you have a complete paradigm shift, but science at its best gets us closer to truth as time goes and you test theories. Um, but the postmodernist throws it out and says, no, no, no. Everything you're seeing now is exactly what we've been talking about for years. You just have posturing and they will collect science scientists to promote whatever view they want to be the case from the beginning. Right. And now you can see how they kind of have a point. Um, in this battle. And so that brings us to the the particular um, kind of crisis of authority. So it's like, I don't know, I I know you're working with the church, Stephen, you're saying, man, we're not going back to to services until July, because honestly, there's different reports coming out, and we don't know who to trust, right? That's that's kind of one of the common themes. Yeah is who do you trust? And if we don't know who to trust in science, when according to our culture, that's the best realm of knowledge we can get, then who do we know where to trust anywhere? So that raises, that's, that's what I mean by the, the problem of epistemology with regard to authority, which we have to depend on. So as Christians, then we want to say, okay, we've recognized this for years. This is not a new problem. Um, but we have to come up with ways in which we can be thoughtful about which authorities to trust. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I think, um, that's, that really is we're I think we're, we're not going to solve all that today and give some, a perfect criteria. Like if you go with these guys, you'll never be wrong. But I think what we can do is just maybe tease out, some things that would help us on this journey. And this is a good test case with this coronavirus. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Good Any luck thoughts? with that. <laughs> Where do you start? Where do you start? Jeez. That's a good question. So, you know, for me, it, it it's even like that a bit with um, scholars when you're doing New Testament studies or really when you're doing any field, it's like you learn over time People get a track record, okay? okay so this is good, why 
this is why it's not much different for me with the whole profit thing. So as I'm as I'm looking into this and I'm sort of studying this afresh, sure. in the prophetic world, they know that some people that call themselves Christian prophets are really, really accurate. Other people are less accurate. Some people are wildly inaccurate. Prophet lion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> prophet lion. Now it's common sense, right? Which one are you going to tend to put a little more weight on? You know, the people that are more accurate. I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy thing. Like if you have a doctor, sure, that's, that's how good. we, that's, good. that's yeah, how we I decide our primary care physicians, right? Yeah. It's like, we want to find a doctor that is, has a good track pretty record. and we're yeah. not and, and we know right off the bat we can dismiss the idea that anybody's going to be infallible in any discipline we know that sure. people are going to make mistakes. make mistakes okay um what we're looking for is the level of accuracy that's one criterion i think another one it, any thoughts on that questions on that if you go in for dental work and they cut off your foot <laughs> that's a sign <laughs> abort exactly <laughs> right, right i did you man i had this one dentist he no longer in authority Oof. okay go ahead he was he was messing me up man i'm it, being facetious no course. no no okay, you're right ahead. he he had one time he lost me i was out after that but um you know that's it's somewhat commonsensical I, I think a second thing is when they touch on an area that you are knowledgeable about and they show themselves dishonest Ooh, that's good that um that lessens their authority in other areas. It doesn't mean so. So one of the things you don't want to do is commit the genetic fallacy. That would that would be to say, well, this person got is is an untrustworthy person. Therefore, what they the say is, is false. Oh boy. You okay. can't say that. What what the difference is when someone be is shown to be untrustworthy, you. All the all the claim you can make then is well I can't trust them in areas where I don't know. Mm. I don't know that okay. it's true or now I no longer know if it's true or false. I can't simply lean on their authority. Does that mm. difference make sense? Yeah. So you can't say it's automatically false yeah. because they said it and they're untrustworthy. Yeah. But okay. what it does, it, so remember knowledge in the traditional analysis is justified true belief or warranted true belief. What it does is it doesn't hit that true criterion it doesn't show you whether it's true or false it lessens the justification for confidence in them Ooh, okay so that's the element that it relates to does that make sense yeah but it's that broken clock is right twice a day kind of thing too. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah so that's that's why you can't okay. assume it's false every time right. okay. because the broken clock what what's removed in the broken clock is the justification for relying on it to give accurate information but it, you can't um assume that it's false just because right. it's broken. You need other evidence for that. Mm -hmm. So what, what this does is with the crisis of authority, we have to begin to think through who are our authorities. And that's why it matters, like what kind of um, cred or, you know, credit you build up with people over time as a truth teller and as someone who's reliable. So as Christians, I think, you know, it reminds us, it's kind of one of the reasons we want to be found being careful in our thinking and fair-minded, we want to call balls and strikes, right? Because um, once you lose people's trust, then you could still be telling them truth in another area, but it's going to be hard for them to believe you. you. Okay. And that's the crisis of authority we're in. Now, because I, this is something you guys can speak into this, if you agree or disagree, but I, I really do think the mainstream media at this point has so damaged their credibility with consistent distortion and even outright lies in the past three years that no longer can we simply even turn on the news and trust, especially any, any narrative elements they're giving us. I would yeah. agree. <clears throat> yeah, and it's tough too because I follow a lot of technology-related people on Twitter Okay. Just yeah. Because okay. that's a world that I've been a part of for a long time, and they are all heavily not conservative. We'll just say that. Right. Like they, you know, they're all on the other side. Okay. They're all living where you guys are. <laughs> they're all in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, to to read that all the time, and then but the, to see the replies, and then to see how they react to news that comes out, it's kind of funny because you could, if you follow the right people. You, they can you can see that like any news that comes out of mainstream media is a lie. 
anything at all. And yeah. if you follow like the opposite group of people, you can see that like no 99% of mainstream media is correct and everything yeah. that comes out of what something else is a lie. So like you can curate your feed to to and it's the, it's that um it's like a positive bias. feedback loop or yeah. a uh, what's the term for it? It's like a um confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like that's all social media is. Especially Right, if, it it does that for you. <laughs> right, and like Facebook notoriously is known to do that. Like if yeah. you if majority of your friends are conservative or a majority are democratic or a majority are Christian or majority are not like, you're just going to see what those people are posting. And it will yeah. either be audacious claims that are obviously false, or it's going to be like audacious claims that you start thinking like, I don't even know if that's true. Even though it's in favor of my point of view, it still seems a little off. And you just, it's, I don't know, like you're saying what authority to actually trust. And even yeah. when something's found to be untrue, there's no accountability. Like there's no, oh, we reported this, but oh, yeah. actually <laughs> we, we need to recant. There's right. none of that going on. It's like, like I saw, well, they just smooth it over, just carry on, sort of, so to speak, I think, you know, so it's like no yeah. epistemic yeah. virtues Virtue. actually talking yep. about. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's no reason to acknowledge a lie no accountability no accountability right? yeah no and that's that's kind of scary yeah it's kind of no, it's think... scary yeah well and it's, it's also scary because we live in a world where you cannot if you were to actually be accountable and say no we were wrong here you will be written off by the world because mm. no one does that and so any kind of vulnerability or transparency will result in an immediate removal of your platform Shoot. authority and influence yeah. Yeah. And so even those who might even be inclined to backtrack or to say I changed my mind on this yeah. or to say I was wrong here like you almost can't do it because then you'll give up any kind of influence you might have. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's wild. And even in that environment they're calling out other people they deem oh, that are liars. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's like we don't acknowledge our lies but we'll call you out <laughs> if you're li you know so it's lots of all of that. That's what our media has become, it seems. So Yeah, so, you know, I think even, you know, Brett Kunkel is a relatively mild guy. We've had him on the show, you know, talk about yeah. doubt and stuff. And, sure. you know, he's really, really, he's a careful thinker. He's very articulate. Um, he And he's not particularly political. Um, I think he, I, I would guess, based on his posts and stuff, he's probably leans more conservative. Um, he's in California as well, but... Anyways, he had posted some things recently just showing like major mainstream media outlets, the stuff they were writing, the headlines they were using. He said, this is why the trust of the American people and the mainstream media at this point is mainly irreparably damaged and may not ever be able to come back. Wow. And it was true. I mean, they were what they were saying based with the reality. I mean, it was like it was blatant. Um, over exaggeration to the degree of like, wow. I mean, you can tell there's such a, there's like the, the mask has come off at this point. So people that are the people that were in tune with what was going on, like you can w read uh, Wayne Grudem's book on politics. that was written, I think 10, maybe 15 years ago. So this is, you know, back when people didn't know that it was the fake news but even back then he notated how 75% or 70 to 75% was left leaning. He connected the people that were over these organizations to particular democratic regimes and administrations, all these kinds of stuff with their views, their books. It was no secret. It was no secret to people that were kind of aware of what was going on. But I think what's happened in these past three years is like the mask has come off completely. And not only has the mask come off, but they are now, intensifying the the degree of some have called it trump derangement syndrome but um it is really like it is really completely like taken over to the point where you're like you see some of the stuff that's put out and then some of the either mild or completely absent retractions that that take place kind of buried the next few days yeah. um, that they don't even it's there's not a care to tell the truth there's a goal of getting him out of office 
Yeah. And any means necessary. Some of them have said that have said that explicitly lately. Any means necessary. They're they're explicitly subscribing to a utilitarian ethic, which is the means the the ends justify the means, no matter what. Like the means don't matter. The ends are what make it a good or evil act. Yeah. It's that Thanos uh, worldview. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, yeah. And so when you get to that point, what it does, again, that's not to say that everything they say is false. Sure. But what it is to say is you don't know if it's false at this point. And so if that's the case, I can no longer turn on the news and have any confidence that outside of the hard, you know, they still have to stick to, they typically can't say, for instance, that, you know, 30% of these people on this test have done this when it is in fact 70%. Like the data, they can't typically just outright lie like that. But almost everything else, the data they use, the experts who come in and the, the narratives, all that. And, and we've known, so the example we've even talked about on the podcast, you might remember this, Nerva. When they were having the debate about same-sex marriage in California, CNN had called um, Sean McDowell to come and, and represent oh, yeah. the evangelical side of the case. So he was actually driving up there or something. He was on a trip and, or he was driving home to take a phone interview, something like that. He was like, yeah, I'll be to wherever I'm in about an hour. You can call me. They called him on the way back and they said, no, 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 never mind. We found someone else. <laughs> he turned the news on later to watch it. And it was like some crazy, like some really, really extreme guy from this rural church that was saying crazy things that almost no evangelical. And he was the evangelical voice. And this was many, many, this was, you know, whenever Proposition 8 or whatever was going on. And what, you know, what you could see in that moment was how you can take framing. And it's like on Lord of the Rings, you can make these guys look like they're hobbits compared to, you know, a giant wizard, depending on where you angle the camera. That's how they typically did in the past. Now it's just straight out, like, they're not even trying to do that. Like it's, it's just even further. So we were watching this documentary of Francis, Francis Schaefer. Yeah. And there, in one of the uh, episodes, he was showing an event of a riot, a protest. And the first uh, 32nd clip was from the angle of the protesters. And then you, you watch it and you come to a conclusion. And then he played the same protest from the angle of the officers. And then you can come to another, a totally different conclusion. He was just highlighting how one story can be captured in two totally different perspectives. And that's what we're seeing a lot of. Yeah. In, and the, so, in the name of media, not yeah. arriving at truth, but just an angle, so to speak. So, yeah, man. And so if, if, no, that's, that's a good example. I love that one. If you get the chance to watch it, it's on Amazon prime. It's called, how then shall we live? Is yeah, it that how one? then? How then shall we live? It's like a ten-part series. Walk but go ahead, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just some people will say, you know, well, this news outlet is, you know, the most objective, or strive to be the most objective. And even if you take a step back and say, the very nature of what stories you're covering, the very nature of what information you are sharing, uh, comes from a place of what your um your background or your sure. slant you know what i mean just and even if you cover something objectively or try to stay as much to the facts choosing what to cover is still a way of framing the information sure. right i even saw again i have to go back and check it but like the cdc was reporting a number of deaths to uh, covid-19 for several weeks it was like something like 60,000 something something and then they readjusted their numbers to then reflect 30,000-something. And they were saying, well, that was the projected amount of deaths, but now we're switching to actual deaths attributed to it. But up until that point, everyone had just been operating under the assumption that it's been 60,000 deaths and growing. And yeah. so it's it's one of these weird things where then there's back and forth about like, oh, well, you have to read the fine print. And, oh, well, you're an idiot if you didn't read the asterisk you know, at the bottom yeah. of the page. And it's like... Well, the big number you put in the headline is what people are going to see. And yeah. so what you choose to do with that, how you choose to frame those numbers, you know, even with how you count how many viewers something has, you know, looking at the church world right now, you know, I've been in communication with so many different churches, like how are you counting the number of people watching your live stream? Because mm. I have data that I can give you numbers of the amount of people that have watched our live stream, and it can be in the tens and tens of thousands. But I can also show you numbers 
based on like the amount of times they watched or how long they watched or how much they were engaged. And I can give you a very different number. And so right. many times you can pick and choose how to shape the data and just put a number out there and it be right, but still not actually tell the whole story of something. Yeah. So, so that is the problem, right? The postmodernists for, for, for example, will say all data is theory laden or all theories, you know, everything you say is theory laden. And of course they'll take what you just said and draw the conclusion because everybody has a slant, everything's framed. Therefore there's no direct access to the world as it really is. Um, now I think we want to stop short of that and say, well, what that's not, that actually ends up being self-refuting and throws you into this, you know, incredible chain where you're like, well, is that, is that theory, theory late, you know? So that's not going to help you. um, That's not going to help you because it's self-refuting at the end of the day. So what, if you're going to allow for any direct access, it's called to reality and any theories that even though they are not bias free and not, and not theory laden free, I think what you're going to have to say is, yeah, that's involved, but you can still get to the truth. Or some people call it verisimilitude, truthiness, or, you know, close to the truth, um, truth tropic, as you do your best to frame it in a way that accurately reflects the whole picture. And so what what that would mean is... um, yeah, you might have biases. You have to select, right? You can't you can't say everything about every subject. But it's sort of like when you do sample, um, you're trying to do a po- population study. You want to do as the best job as you can of picking random people that re- would represent the larger group, so that you're not doing selection bias. Right. And that would be the difference, I think, is like when you're framing something dishonestly to get your point across and when you're just framing it and yeah, it has a, it has a slant and it's trying to, to persuade, but it's doing so in a way that doesn't distort the reality and doesn't, and doesn't hide what you don't want people to see and show what you do want them to see. Cause there's an intentional way to frame like that, that hides intentionally because what you're hiding goes against your point. Oh That's dishonest. But there's sometimes you're hiding, not because it goes against your point, just because you literally can't show everything. But what you are showing is a fair representation of what's there. Does that difference make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what I think the ones that want to say we're more objective is not to say that they don't have any stake in the game. And it's not to say that they don't have a frame because that's impossible. But what it is to say is they try to frame it fairly. They try to give, and I think that's why for me, William Lane Craig is a scholar in his defenders course. I think you've listened to a lot of that too, Stephen. When I've listened to him even explain the other side, he, he doesn't, he doesn't typically do straw man versions of the other side. He'll do, he'll give their, their full argument as it is and try to give what he thinks is an accurate representation of that view. And then he'll argue against it. When yeah. he, when I've tested him on that and I've read those people, it has borne out with, with the ring of truth. Like he's been true to what they believe. That gives me confidence when I haven't had the chance to test him in other areas that he's doing that the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And William Lane Craig, especially in the Defenders class, oftentimes I was unsure of what he actually believed until he came to the end of a topic. You know, I remember him talking about the doctrine of salvation and he talked about Arminianism versus Calvinism. And it's like nine weeks of that. And I had no idea which side he landed on, (laughs) you know, and he was very convincing on both sides until the end. And he would say, you know, I do think it is more reasonable to believe this because of X, Y, Z. And here are my issues with this view. And it was as unbiased as you could be, I feel. Yeah. And, and that's all I think, that's all I think you can ask of somebody. And that to me is a helpful way of getting at truth. Were you going to say something, babe? I'll hold it till a later time. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I don't feel, I mean, you No, I was going to say too, it's sad that we live in a country where authorities in the media time and time and time again have lost the idea that lying is mm. wrong. You know, and and I don't know if we're training up children in the education system to know, 
you know, the basic Ten Commandments, lying, stealing, you know, you grow up and you understand that you you don't want to do that. You don't want to lie. It has consequences. But we've reached a point where lying is going on thousands of times a day through social media. And it's like, um, yeah, that's just something to process. What what are we what are we showing the next generation? What are we how do we stop this madness? And what is our rubric for honesty, integrity? Um, I think those those are questions we should ask and just kind of like, man, reintroduce <laughs> to our schools and, and everything. Yeah, I think that what that's what makes it even harder in today's culture, because certain people have told a lie so long they believe it's true. Yeah. You know, there there is that saying, I think it's attributed to kind of Hitler's Germany era, but tell a lie long enough and loud enough, yeah. everyone will believe it's true. Yeah. And I uh. think there's you know, social media and a lot of the news media really just entrenches people in whatever worldview they are in. That's that confirmation bias I was talking about. And so even if something is a lie, you have to first convince them it is a lie sometimes. You know, obviously some people Maybe the scientists, medical professions, like, yeah, I'm sure actual lies come out for their own benefit. But for people just day in and day out who are just listening to the the secular news media all the time, sure. I think they just believe it. And they might even espouse things that are lies, but they are just repeating and regurgitating what they have heard so long that they believe it to be true. And I think that's what makes it an even harder mountain to climb in today's temperature. Who was that that asked the question? It was a dollar with us. Do you love truth? Do you like it? Would you die for it? Yeah. Um, if you heard something across the airwaves that favored your favorite politician or side or whatever, and if you heard that that information actually wasn't as true as you thought, would you switch or would you still hold on? You know, that's, I hope I'm not that way. I'm hoping because there's a lot of indoctrination going on and we just post and we just read and we just repost. And as if we know it's true, we weren't there. We have no evidence. We're at the mercy Mm. of the authorities, but yet here they are flooding the airwaves with this information. So just something to process. Where's the evidence for this? Have I heard both sides of the story? Yeah. Worth hearing for sure, but. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's good, babe. And what you're basically getting at is what what I said earlier about, you know, we want to be umpires who are known for calling balls and strikes uh, fairly. Yeah. You know good. what I'm saying? Like you just, you're not going to get it perfect. And, yep. you know, sure. sometimes you might even really secretly want a team to win. But as a discipline, you say, no, nope, I'm going to try to be fair because I care about, um, that transcendent sure. truth of being objective and fair wrong is um, wrong, to both right teams. Is right. Yeah. Now this is an interesting question and this is something we, we I guess we won't have time to get into the details. I was going to look at some of the articles and some of the particular um, claims being made. We'll have to do that next time. But here's an interesting question. Just a thought experiment. If you were, you know, you have person a, it's an easy thought experiment, but you have person a, let's call them Tom who is a utilitarian, thoroughgoing, so self-proclaimed, the ends justify the means. In other words, for, for Tom, lying in and of itself is never wrong. You have to ask lying for what end. The, the end is what makes the lying right or wrong. Truth could even be wrong, depending on the end result that you're going for. Mm-hmm. So what in utilitarianism... You're, you're saying the utility of the act is what makes it ro- right or wrong. And you can define the utility differently for the greater good of the most people, or you could define it smaller as the greater good for my tribe or for me, you know. But most utilitarians, I think, would fall, I don't know, I don't have a stat for it, but I'm, I'm guessing the more popular version is the greatest good for the whole um, of Thanos. humanity. <laughs> yeah, in yes. that sense. So the so an act for utilitarianism is never right or wrong in and of itself. It's only right or wrong in light of that end. Okay. Now if you so if Tom's a thoroughgoing utilitarian and you're interviewing him, okay, asking him some questions. Now you're gonna go over to John. You got Tom there. Now John, he's he's a moral realist and um I forget it's deontological ethics, but whatever would be more of the the, the classical um the virtue ethics where 
the thing is right or wrong in and of itself in virtue of itself. Okay. Not even if the end doesn't, doesn't, isn't a good thing or doesn't end well. So that's John. Now, if you're asking Tom and John the same questions, which answers are you going to put more stock in? Captain America. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely John, right? Why? He has a moral framework. Hopefully yeah, lines I, up with the Christian worldview, maybe. Not because it, no, not because it lines up with the Christian worldview. But if you're trying to get to the truth of the ah, matter, ah, definitely, okay. Um, and John actually cares about telling truth as a virtue. Tom only cares about the ends of Come what on. he says. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Which one are you going to trust to tell the to yeah. to give you true information, John? John, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a clear example. I'm just trying to highlight it to get people that are listening to right. think about it. Gotcha. Now, it, it's easily John because with Tom, you have no his his whole moral framework doesn't include telling the truth. So for him, he might actually think he's doing the right thing by lying in in every case. You just don't know. You you just have no idea. It's a broken clock. So it may be true, but you just have no idea if it's true. Right. Um. Now, this, sure. this would, I, I'm just formulating this hypothesis. Um, we can think more about this later. This is, early, this is early stages. My sense of it is that progressive, progressivism as a worldview, as a political worldview, doesn't care as much about truth for truth's sake. It's more concerned about political ends. And if you read people like Saul Alinsky and these other guys that are that are the curators of in, in many ways of at least progressive methodology, where they say, you know, go to a KKK rally, don't don't um, protest it. Get it riled up even more and act like you're for the opposing candidate. That's the kind of tactics he would use, like explicitly. Um, does that make sense what I'm saying there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crystal. Now, if you subscribe to that methodology like Hillary Clinton did, for instance. Um, I'm telling. Go ahead. At that point, it takes away justification for the authority that they might. So insofar, this is my tentative hypothesis. Sure, sure. Insofar as someone in a news magazine is committed to the progressive enterprise Ooh. in its t full aspect that to me just out of the gate is going to make them, them more suspect than someone who subscribes to a traditional ethic, which you might find in a conservative person. Now that doesn't mean automatically you can rely sure. on the one or the other, sure. but it does, I think give you an initial posture to say it's not because I, I think we tend to think right and left like their balances to an equal equation. But maybe it's not, maybe it's not a, a um, middle of the road between the two because what if one is committed to utilitarianism and what if the other is committed to truth? In that case, it's not a, a balance between the two that's the truth. It's just that the one has the truth and the other one you have no idea. So, so that, that would be my only thing I would throw in there against the temptation to say, well, it's merely somewhere between conservative and liberal. I, because I do, and that, again, it would be much more, it would be, it'd be way too great of a generalization to say, if you're leftist, if you're progressive, you're utilitarianism, therefore I can't trust what you say in the news. That's not what I'm saying. Because um, many of them may even be more truthful than some of the people in the conservative outlets. That could be the case. But I'm just saying when considering that one aspect on its own, so yeah. it's interesting to just think that, man, it may be the case that some of these um, political persuasions actually tend toward, that's the, that's the key words, they tend toward not being as reliable because of the very worldview itself and others of them might tend toward more accuracy because of the worldview itself. And I think we need to take that into account in our criteria for deciding. And that's, that's not going to be the whole thing. Again, it's not 
black and white. I throw them out and I live. But I think we need to, to think about that carefully. And that's why when I start to offer maybe next time some, some trusted sources, you might, you might think, well, these are just all conservative. They're all one perspective. But I would actually think, no, I didn't come to these guys even because I thought they were conservative. I came to them in many cases because they were actually handled the data accurately. And then when you dig deeper, you might think, man, why do they tend to handle it accurately? Oh, they really care about truth, even over their political persuasion. Huh, that's different. And so the, the fact that they happen to be conservative, it might not be a coincidence. It might be the reason that they tell the truth well, is because it's grounded in this larger worldview. So that's just my kind of uh, final, final thought today is, you know, we need to kind of, in addition to looking into the individuals and we're going to go through some articles and, and learn how to ask questions um, I think we should be aware of what of what people on the different sides are saying, but we also need to be aware of the worldview that that are, that's kind of in the in the background of these leading cultural curators and what they're trying to aim for, and is truth an important virtue for them, or is it something that's a casualty that they can take or leave. So that would be just my, maybe my initial thoughts today before we jump into the particulars next time. Any, any thoughts on that? I I remember reading, gosh, was it the autobiography of Martin Luther King? And at night he would agonize and pray that he wasn't getting anything wrong, Hmm. that he had a fear of God, that he wasn't leading people astray. Like he would pray prayers and, and would encourage people, if you feel tempted to fight back, if you feel tempted to mess up this cause, just stay home. It's all good. Wait till you're right and then join us. He had a fear of God. Mm. No, that's good. You're right. And he, you know, I think that was his Christian just, theology, right? Yeah, Kinda. That, yeah his Rubik, yeah. And that's a good reminder. That's a, that's a good example. Did you have anything, Stephen? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, sometimes even for the utilitarian, that end goal might be something good in their minds. Like you come from a worldview perspective, take universal basic income. Yeah. That, you know, everyone in America would at least receive living expenses regardless of their job or situation. Sounds like such an ideal situation. That sounds like such an ideal goal. Mm. And because it seems like such a good goal, like there might be, like you're saying, a lot of choices on the road to achieving that that are not good <laughs> and might <laughs> ignore certain truths and might, uh, you know, harm some people for the benefit of the more that would receive the benefit later. And I think it even all goes back to the base worldview because then you have to ask like, well, then what is the end after that? You know, if you mm. achieve that or you achieve this law or this policy or this health care, then what? You know, what is then the ultimate purpose? And I, I was thinking about William Lane Craig. He has a chapter in his book On Guard, on guard called The Absurdity of Life Without God. Mm. You know, if all those motivations are coming from this, from a godless worldview, there is really nothing in the end. You know, all mm. these things that you might you know, lie for or hurt people for or make a compromise to get these things, it really doesn't amount to anything in the end end. It is all just this temporary, like, feel as though we are helping someone, hopefully. And I think that is why sometimes knowing the end purpose, you know, even like the Apostle Paul, he didn't care what happened to him or his body. <laughs> you know, he understood the ultimate purpose. Come and the, his, the main thing was truth. And that's what he had to stand for. All the disciples forsaking their own lives for the truth. And I think everything comes back to that, what is the base worldview? And even for those who might still believe in Jesus, but have, you know, a kind of progressive stance on things, I would encourage to dive deeper into those beliefs and where, really dive into truth first. You know, get get Mm. to the truth of your worldview first in the Bible, read, you know, read the Bible, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's so simplistic. We actually started a thing as a staff at the crossing where 
we're reading the Bible every day. And there's like this level of accountability. We're like we're doing it in in you version. You can actually have like you yeah. see who's read that day, and like that little bit of pressure is like, oh, okay, shoot, I got to do this. <laughs> and man, when you read the stuff that you know, I've read all these books before of the Bible, but man, it really does bring out truth every time. And you see, like, oh, wait mm. a minute, Jesus actually said this thing about that, and he, you know, he actually said this about marriage. He actually said this about that. Like, okay, th- these aren't just words that some people use to win an argument. This is actually like in the Bible. And mm-hmm. so I would encourage people to to go back to that, especially if you're a Christian and claim to follow Christ, let that shape your worldview okay. and not whatever narrative is out there. Yeah, man. Amen. I think that's good. Good way to good way to wrap it up. All right. Well, this was different, man, seeing y'all on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I have to work on my set over here, but um but yeah, listeners, we'd love to hear your feedback. As always, you can comment on Instagram and Twitter at FreemindFM. You can go on our Facebook page, Freemind Podcast FM. And we've been putting out those bonus episodes with the last few interviews. I think especially check out that Clay Jones bonus episode. And you can find all those at patreon.com slash FreemindFM. Donate any amount and you get access to all the bonus episodes that have ever been posted, especially that Q&A uh, from last week with Clay Jones. So I encourage you to check that out. And again, we'd love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts if you haven't done that yet. Helps we, haven't had, we haven't had one in a while, by the right, way. I know, so. brother. And I know. Do it. Do it. Right, I know people have been uh, like, "What y'all are y'all still doing?" Free mind? I don't know why they're asking that. We've been putting out episodes, but we did miss a, we missed like a week and a half this past week. But but yeah. don't fear, we've been recording them, so we're actually gonna have a bunch of episodes coming out. So so don't lose hope, friends. Uh, and and I just want to add to share this stuff from YouTube if you can, as we're building the video. Um, the video zoom we're going to try to do, do this more and more so if you, yeah <laughs> if so you, you can get on that uh, patreon and support the show we get that yes. studio set up get that studio look this video look a little easier on the eyes yeah exactly so anyways that was my little tidbit sorry to interrupt you there no no it's good man but anyway well thanks for tuning in this week for my listeners we'll catch you next time